Well, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me, please, to Luke tonight, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we'll look at verse 46 to 55. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to verse 55. Tonight we look at what is commonly called the Magnificat, which is simply the Latin word for the Greek word (laughs) that means to exalt. And we are going to look at Mary's exaltation of the Lord. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. Thank you. Let's pray together. Lord, we do praise you and we exalt you. You are King of kings and the Lord God Almighty, full of power, glory, majesty, honor, dominion. Lord, you share your glory with none. You cover yourself with light. You are the God who sits on the throne whose foundation is righteousness. You are the God who judges the nations. You know our thoughts. You are the God before whom all men must appear. You are the one who is exalted. And yet you did send Jesus Christ into his deep humiliation as a man to secure for us our salvation. And so now, Lord, we pray that your spirit would help us to appreciate these truths tonight. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 1, at ver- verse 46. Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Well, as I said, the Magnificat is the Latin word for the Greek word meaning to exalt. It's taken here from the first line of Mary's song. My soul exalts the Lord. J.S. Bach wrote a piece called the Magnificat, Uh, which um, he put to music the ideas here in this text. Now, the background of this song is that Mary is betrothed to Joseph. And as we saw this morning, the betrothal 
is more like a marriage. The vows have been taken, but the marriage has not yet been consummated. They are called husband and wife. But Mary here finds out that she is to be pregnant with the Son of God, the Messiah. And we see that earlier in this chapter when Gabriel, in verse 26, was sent to Mary in Nazareth. And he explains to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him a throne, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Then, of course, Mary, speaking to Gabriel, says, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And then Gabriel reveals to her that your relative Elizabeth has conceived in her old age, and she who was barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so it is, Mary then goes and visits Elizabeth, and as she does so, John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth leaps in the womb of his mother at the sound of Mary's voice, and Elizabeth extols Mary for being so favored of the Lord. And she says, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. And so this song that Mary enters into, I'm going to divide into three parts. First of all is the exaltation in verses 46 and 47. Secondly, the great reversals of the kingdom, verses 48 to 53, the great reversals of the kingdom. And then finally, that the Lord remembers his covenant, God's covenant faithfulness in verses 54 and 55. Mary exalts the Lord. Mary speaks of the great reversals brought about by the kingdom of God and how the Lord remembers his covenant. He is a covenant-keeping God. So those three points will make up our sermon tonight. First of all, verse 46 and verse 47. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. So Mary praises God. She exalts him, makes him great. Great is the Lord, she could have said, or we could have translated it that way. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced. Why? Well, she has found favor with God. The Lord is with Mary. And we as Protestants do not want to overreact to the exaltation that others have made of Mary. Uh, many have exalted her to the position of being a mediator between us and Jesus and being sinless herself. No, Mary was a godly woman, but she was like the rest of us. She was a sinner in need of salvation. 
But she trusted the Lord and the word of the Lord as it was brought to her by Gabriel. And she trusts in what God has done for her, the miraculous conception of the Lord Jesus Christ in her womb. His name shall be, we see in verse 31, shall be Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. He will be called the Son of God, the Most High, in verse 32a. In verse 32b, he is given the throne of David according to the promise. This was mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God had told David, David, you are not going to build a house for me for you are a man of war, but I will build a house for you and there will uh, be one who will sit on that throne forever. And that, of course, is fulfilled in the lordship of Jesus Christ. In verse 33, we are told that his reign, the reign of Christ and the kingdom shall be eternal and his reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. You couldn't say that about Solomon's reign that followed the reign of David. It has to be someone greater than Solomon. And Jesus said, indeed, one greater than Solomon was among them in himself. Jesus will be conceived by the Spirit, we are told in verse 35, while Mary is still a virgin. And he will be called, in verse 35, notice, the Son of God. He is given that title, for he is very God of very God. And then in verse 36 and 37, the angel indicates that this conception will be by a miracle. Notice that the angel says to Mary that nothing is impossible with God. Now, what are we to think of these things? Well, first of all, we, like Mary, should exalt the Lord tonight. We should praise God, exalt him, and magnify his greatness as we meditate and ponder on these very same truths that were given first to Mary, the divinity and the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingship of Jesus Christ, the eternal reign of Jesus Christ, the faithfulness of God in his covenant that he has made to David, the fact that God has not forgotten his promises, the fact that God is able to do all things, that God is omnipotent, that God can do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine. There are so many things that we can think upon that would cause us to exalt the Lord. And I want to encourage us, maybe even this week, to take time out to do just that. That we think on those things that cause us to have a great view of the Lord. Mary's soul exalts the Lord. And we should exalt the Lord from our soul, like Mary. Notice it wasn't just a great thought that Mary had, but her soul, her being, exalts God and praises God. She says, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And we ought to ask ourselves, are we experiencing something of that joy ourselves? Martin Lloyd-Jones has said, that when we are miserable Christians, we are miserable witnesses for Jesus Christ. Our spirit should rejoice in God our Savior. And that rejoicing doesn't come simply by way of our circumstances in life, but because of what God has done. That is the reason she is rejoicing in the Lord. 
So Mary exalts God and so should we. We should praise God and make praise a part of our prayer life. We should begin, if we can, always with praise. Doesn't mean you always have to, but we should be praising God. We should be known as people who praise the Lord and exalt the name of God regularly among prayer, uh, in prayer, but also as we speak to others, that we should bring God glory and exalt him for the great things he has done. We need to be impressed by these things again and again. There's a tendency for dullness to come over our soul, and we need to use these truths that Mary reflects on to exalt him. Secondly, we look and we see in the bulk of this uh, hymn is the reversals of the kingdom, the great reversals that come about by the presence and the power of the kingdom of God uh, in this world. Let me just run through these things here quickly with you uh, and then make some comments about them. First of all, in verse 48, Notice here how Mary says that the Lord has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant, yet later generations shall call her blessed. There's reversal number one. What is the condition of Mary? She is in a humble state, a poor state. We know that uh, Joseph and Mary were not of great means because they gave the offering when Jesus is dedicated at the temple. That was for those who had lesser means. They didn't give the most costly sacrifice when they dedicated Christ at the temple. And yet, though she is uh, in a humble state, yet forever she will be counted as blessed for this calling that God has put on her life. That's reversal number one. Reversal number two is in verse 49 and 50. The great things God has done for a poor yet faithful virgin in Israel, the same mercy is available to all who humble themselves and call on the name of the Lord. Here is a great encouragement for us all. That that which God has done for Mary, he in lesser ways can do for us as well. Notice that Mary says, The mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. But what is the application from that in verse 50? His mercy is upon generation after generation to those who fear him. She is saying, yes, God has shown me special favor, but he will show favor to all who humble themselves before him, to all who will call upon his name, and to all who will look and seek him. They will find him. He will exalt them at the proper time. Isn't that what James tells us as well? Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, at the proper time, he will exalt you. God is opposed to the proud, and yet what? He gives grace to the humble. Nebuchadnezzar lifts himself up, and yet God humbles him. David is lifted up and commits a great sin, and God humbles him. And yet, when he is humbled in Psalm 51, what does God do? God restores him to his place. Peter was exalted for a moment in time when he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Lord. Even if all others do, I will never do so. And Satan sifted him like wheat that night, but Jesus had prayed for him. And yet what? When he humbled himself, then Christ restored him. 
And that very mouth that denied Jesus Christ is the very mouth that is used to bring salvation to 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost. God has a way of doing the reverse of the world. The world says you should be exalting yourself. The world says you should strut. The world says that you should have some swag about you. But the Bible says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who humble themselves, who consider themselves of no repute. Blessed is the Apostle Paul who says, I'm, of the, I'm the chief of sinners. Blessed is the one in the back of the temple saying, God have mercy on me. But proud is the Pharisee who thanks God that he's not like other men. And he goes away unjustified. So it is with the gospel Mary is telling us here. God reverses the way of the world. God, in God's kingdom, in God's economy, the proud are scattered. Rulers are overthrown. The humble are exalted. The hungry are filled. The rich are sent away empty-handed. She tells us here in these verses from 51 to 53. You know, there have been studies done of this song and comparisons made to another song made by another woman in 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, we have Hannah saying something very similar to what Mary says here after she dedicates her son Samuel. She made a vow to the Lord that if the Lord would give her a son, she would dedicate the child to the Lord. And if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, look at verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts the Lord. A different type of magnificat, right? The Lord is exalted. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like, you, like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more proudly. Now notice here, she also picks up this theme of reversal. She says, boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are what? Shattered. But the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven. But she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol. He raises up. The Lord makes poor the rich and he brings low and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. And so you see there the parallel between these two women and their praise of God. The kingdom of God reverses the order of the world because the world is sinful. The world is in rebellion against God. So Jesus himself, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, reminds us of this very same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew, chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in, the, 
in spirit. For theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Normally, we think of conquerors as inheriting the earth. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. They are the ones who conquer. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be the ones to receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones who will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the warmongers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are you when men insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, rejoice and be glad for what your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. The blessedness comes in a way that is contrary to the way that the world views blessedness. The kingdom of God brings about tremendous reversals in a fallen and sin-cursed world. God does what? He chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. Jesus Christ builds his church in unexpected ways. He chooses unexpected women, and he works through unexpected people. He builds his church through people often overlooked by the world, rejected even, despised, forsaken by the world. God loves to call, oftentimes what our culture might call the Walmart, the people of Walmart, and uses them and changes their lives and builds his church through them. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 25, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, for consider your calling, brethren. He's talking to the church here at Corinth. There, that there were not many wise according to the flesh. Not many graduates of Ivy League schools here. Not many mighty. Not many people in positions of authority. Not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. The base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. And why? Paul tells us in verse 29, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast, or shall I say exalt, magnificat, in the Lord. 
the Lord is turning the world upside down with his kingdom. The world often doesn't take notice of the church. And that is because the world is spiritually blind. That's why you don't see much about the church in newscasts, unless there's a scandal or unless it intersects with politics, which is the god of the newscasts. There you don't pay much attention to the church. The world does not value the weakness of the church. The world does not value the foolishness of the church. It does not value the foolishness of the church's means. How does our church grow? The church grows through preaching and through the sacraments, and that's it. The church grows through these very ordinary means, and yet that is how God, the Holy Spirit, builds the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Some have speculated that Judas did not like the kingdom of Christ because why? He was looking for power in a worldly sense. And when he saw that that was not what was happening, he became disillusioned with Christ. Even someone as godly as John the Baptist struggled with this same thing. You remember when John the Baptist was in prison that he wrestled with his faith. He had been arrested, and yet what? He was the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who was to bring about the kingdom. And yet here he finds himself in prison. And so what does he do? He sends his disciples to Jesus to make sure that Jesus really was the Messiah. The idea was this, Lord, if you are really the Messiah, then why am I the forerunner in prison? The kingdom of God is like no human revolution. All human revolutions turn out much like the song that was sung by the who. <laughs> In their song, Won't Get Fooled Again. And that's F-O-O-L-E-D. When I was a kid, I thought it was Won't Get Food Again. <laughs> it Won't Get Fooled Again. What happens? They're called to a revolution in this song. And the revolution is successful, but how do they conclude the song? Well, they say, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Every revolution ends up almost like another, and they tend to disappoint. Not so in the kingdom of Jesus, in the kingdom of Christ. His kingdom is not like earthly kingdoms. His kingdom is a reversal of all the kingdoms of this world. And it is the only kingdom that will last forever. It is the only kingdom that will last into eternity. It is the only kingdom that is inaugurated in this world, though it is not of this world. It is the only kingdom that grows, but it grows by means not like all the other kingdoms. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my people would be fighting. But as it is, they are not, and it is growing, even though we are not, in an earthly sense, fighting with carnal weapons. But the third thing and the final thing we see tonight here, in addition to Mary exalting the Lord and seeing the great reversals that the kingdom brings about, is we see the faithfulness of God in his covenant, the faithfulness of God to bring all this about in the fullness of time. 
Notice how Mary concludes her praise of God. She says this, He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Why is the kingdom of Christ so different? Well, there are many ways we could answer that. But Mary concludes her song by this, that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is built on the promise of God and God's faithfulness to his own word, even promises he made with their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God has not forgotten the promises that he has made to those who lived long ago before the days of Jesus. God made a promise with Abraham. Abraham, he said, remember boys and girls, look up and count the stars if you can. So shall your descendants be. And of course, we know from the teaching of the Apostle Paul that those descendants are who? They are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That those who believe in Jesus as the Son of God become the very children of Abraham. And they are from all tribes, tongues, and nations. And thus, so it could be, even as it was promised to Abraham, so shall your descendants be. They will, you will be the father of many nations, God had said to Abraham. And so it was to Isaac and also to Jacob, who wrestled the angel of the Lord. Those covenant promises have not been forgotten, though thousands of years later they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the yes and the amen to the promises of the patriarchs. You are a member of this covenant in Jesus Christ by faith. You have been made by the Spirit of God a new creature. You have been born again by the Spirit of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been brought into union with Christ through faith in Him and thus are an heir of Abraham. You have been circumcised, but not with a circumcision made with hands. In baptism, you have been circumcised. You are a child of Abraham who has been engrafted into his tree. Branches have been cut off. You've been glued in. You have been made a member of Israel. You are the true children of God in Jesus Christ. This is because God has been faithful to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to all those who have the faith of Abraham. We are not descendants of Abraham simply by biology or genealogy, not simply by DNA. That was the mistake the Pharisees made. Who do you think yourself to be? We are sons of Abraham. Who are you to say that we are enslaved? We are born of Abraham. But it is not those who physically were descendants of Abraham that are in the kingdom, but those who are spiritually of Abraham, those who are spiritually born of the Spirit of God from above. You are a member of this new covenant by faith. But if you are not yet following the Lord Jesus Christ, here is an invitation for you. This promise extends to you if you will but believe. If you will be one who will confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 
come in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, lived the perfect and holy life, died on the cross as a substitute for your sins, and that God raised him on the third day, according to the Scriptures. The Bible promises that if you will confess that with your mouth and believe on that with your heart, you too will be a member of this covenant. This covenant is an inclusive covenant, a covenant who extends to all who will repent and believe. No matter what your background is, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter what sins you may have committed, the invitation is true for all. The gospel is to be preached indiscriminately. God's elect are many, and we offer salvation to whosoever would believe. We preach the gospel liberally. We preach it promiscuously. We preach the gospel to everyone because the promise is to everyone who will believe. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. You are of that covenant. You can be a child of God tonight if you will but believe. As I've said in many times in the past, you don't have to walk an aisle, don't have to raise a hand, don't have to sign up card. You just simply believe right in the pew where you are, and God makes you one of his own. The Bible says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it is with us. You believe in God and his word and his promises, and it is credited to you as righteousness. The very righteousness of Jesus is yours. Have you made that commitment yourself? this Christmas or before? Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the promises of God? God invites you to commit yourself to Jesus Christ even now. If you have made that commitment to Jesus Christ, let me ask you a question as well. Have you made that commitment known to others? Have you made that faith in Jesus Christ known to others? God is faithful. If you will trust in him, you also will exalt him. Amen. Let's